0: Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison, from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm talking to Sue Grindrod, the CEO of Albert Dock in Liverpool. Sue talks a lot about balance the balance between being a CEO and having a home life and interests outside of work, the balance of being expected to have all the answers and work collaboratively and include people in the decision-making, and the balance of being strategic whilst also taking care and attention to the detail that is needed. Hi, Sue, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Sue. Would you like to start by just explaining what it is that you do?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm Chief Executive of the Albert Dock in Liverpool, um, I'm hoping that most people will know the Albert Dock in Liverpool, it's the largest grouping of Grade 1 listed buildings in the UK, and I'm in a very fortunate position that I kind of manage all aspects of how the dock is run. Um, it is a business, we're a private company, so we do have to make money, uh, we do have to invest that money back into the public realm. We have numerous stakeholders, so it's quite complex in terms of stakeholder management, uh, but ultimately, it's about driving footfall and making sure that the Dock, even though it's opened in 1846, is still relevant to the audiences of the 21st century as it was then.
0: Wow, okay. So you, you must have to deal with lots of different stakeholders and lots of different types of people, from the the people running the business to the people who are enjoying the, the Dock and, and everything in between. How, how do you juggle managing so many different stakeholders?
1: Well, it's quite an interesting question because um, in the day-to-day business, of course, we are getting on to living a strategy and plan. I think I've only been in the role now two years, although I have had a long affiliation with um, Albert Dock because I used to work for Tate Liverpool, who are one of the stakeholders on the Dock. So mm-hmm. I've seen how Gower Street, the company that owns the Dock, uh, works from an inside point of view as well as now kind of leading on on where we're going uh, strategically. Uh, The primary uh, um, kind of stakeholder group for me are the board, and we have a chair and a a board of directors, and the board of directors uh, represent the main stakeholders. So if you own a building, to keep it simple, if you're a head leaseholder, you actually have a stake in how the dock is run. Because, of course, if you own property, and within that property there are businesses or there are residents or office blocks it doesn't matter which you need those people to, to those buildings to be full yeah. and you need them to be viable you want the property value to increase so so the stakeholders and the through the board of directors obviously want to make sure that whatever we are delivering is bringing footfall and it's about quality of, of place it's about the quality of what we do on the external areas so where we have events and we're populating you know for the car parks maybe with food and drink offer that that's of a quality and there is a kind of a value intent and then everything that we do so the board is kind of the main stakeholder group but then what happens is you've got then the filtering down you've got tenants occupiers residents and if they don't like something that we're doing believe me we get to know about it so it gets quite difficult uh, on occasion so i think our stakeholder engagement operates at many levels. We have different forums for that. We're very clear about our plans from the outset, about what we're going to do. There's very rarely any surprises. Mm-hmm. And getting kind of that engagement from the outset, whether it's at board level or at tenant level, is really important. From the visitor's point of view, of course, in this day and age with social media, you soon hear about whether your visitors aren't happy.
0: Yes, of course. So we
1: kind of monitor all of that as well.
0: Gosh, so that, must, that can't be an easy job to to keep tabs on on everything that's going on. Um, and in terms of particularly around the topic of uncertainty, I guess when you put on events, you don't know how well they're going to be attended. You, you'll have some experience of previous ones, but I guess it depends on what else is happening in the world and in the country as well.
1: Yes, and, and I mean, the events, are really important to the Dock because they are another reason to come to the Dock, so it's not just about the static offer. If we put on our pirate festival where we attracted 60,000 people, whether we put on our folk festival where we had 90,000 people over weekend this is drives extra footfall for us. so They're really important. But you're right, we don't know if anyone's going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, um, with my first year, so we established some new events and a whole new programme. I had to set a strategy and vision for what we were going to deliver over the next five years. And, of course, as soon as you publish that... You put yourself out there, and I don't know whether it's going to work or not. So we had a good year last year, and certainly we approved some of the concepts that we were doing, which is great. We learnt lessons from things that didn't work. Um, And this year we're building on the good things, and we've dropped the bad things, as it were. And I've had, I suppose I feel that some of the uncertainty that I had last year, you know, the first year in the job, is kind of dissipated, because I feel like the, the roots have gone down, and the approach I've taken is working.
0: So it sounds like you're, you know, in the first first year of the role, of course, things are, are uncertain because it's a, it's a new role and by its very nature, then, then things are unknown. But it sounds as though you're now starting to create some solidity and some certainty mm-hmm. amongst that. How do you, what, what have you learned from the uncertainty of the first year in the role? I think I was fortunate that I was involved uh, through my role at Tate
1: before I became Chief Executive of the the Albert Dock, that because Tate has a vested interest on footfall and who's coming into the gallery, and of course when you're in the public sector, you know, a lot of your funding is tied into outputs and what you can deliver etc. I had a vested interest in making sure that Gower Street, the body that I now work for, were doing that job bringing footfall to the dock, and so that Tate was successful. Mm-hmm. So when I went into this new role as chief exec, actually I had a lot of really good grounding so I was fortunate. I wasn't starting from the very very beginning of don't understand the business, need to learn that first so I could hit the ground running. But of course there was a leap, I think this was a new role, it hadn't been created for but it, was created especially for me because the board realised, I, I was chair of the board before, they realised that they needed someone to move the business forward. We had new investors coming into the dock so there was a kind of a period of expectation so I was put into this role and even though I knew how it should work I still had to sit there and think oh my goodness what am I going to do? How am I going to prove that they did the right thing creating this role and that I'm the right person? And I think the, the first thing I did was sit down and kind of uh, thought about everything that we needed to do or that I thought we needed to do, put that together in a plan um, and put that to the board literally within the first three months. That was then signed off and they've been delivering against that since.
0: Right. So, yeah, So, sound, it sounds as though you're, you're a planner and you're a doer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> and so how how do you cope with the things that just pop up unexpectedly?
1: Well, that happens particularly on events,
0: mm. um, we,
1: um, and because the Albert Dock is such a you know a kind of a very visual token of what Liverpool is on the waterfront and in the city, people kind of migrate down to the dock. Oh, let's do something on the dock. So we get a lot of requests for events um, promotions all sorts of ideas some of them wacky some of them fantastic some of them there's no way in hell we would do them mm. uh, that happens all day long I mean I'll get a call regularly in a week we'd like to talk to you about this opportunity I then have to work out how does that fit in with what we're trying to achieve does it add benefits is it going to add value and um, make some decisions myself before we, we pursue any of those opportunities so mm. I could get those wrong um, I've got a, a small team around me. There is only literally four of us. I'm the only full time employee. Um but what I am good at is I will talk to other experts I know, through colleagues, my network, or people that work on the on the board or people that work on the doc, and I will go to them and say, This has come for what do you think about this? Mm. So I will take quite a lot of if I'm not sure. I'll go away and take quite a lot of advice and sound it out. And, it's, and I think it's almost like you're self-coaching yourself, aren't you? Because you're almost, you get to the answer you, you, is the right answer for you because you've talked to that many different people and you've heard their views. Yeah. So, but the, it happens all the time. There are things cropping up all the time. Today already, before we spoke, there's some things that cropped up. So I'm sat here now nervously knowing that I've got to go and deal with some things
0: before I go to the next meeting. And, and that's a regular occurrence. Yeah, so it sounds as though you you've built up a very solid support network around you of yes. peers. Maybe me- do you have mentors and as well? And- no, I, I
1: don't have mentors, and it's something I probably regret in a way. Um, I'm, I'm, I do attend, you know, sessions for my own personal development, mm-hmm. um, and and I mean something like this. Jude working with you is really interesting, and I'm coming to obviously one of your workshops. Which I'm really looking forward to. I think I'm at the stage in my career where that is going to, is really critical. Now is that I take time out to self-evaluate, reflect on what I'm doing, and where I've got issues, and I'm not sure, quite sure I'm going. Go and seek that help rather than sitting pondering on it myself. I think it's quite interesting, it's such a complex business, there's only certain people that can understand what I'm doing, I can't take it home and talk to my partner about it because he can smile and look at me and feel sympathetic, but he actually can't offer me you know, the, the experience or the knowledge to help me make some of those decisions, yeah. so it's becoming more and more important in, in my everyday life.
0: And one of the things that I'm hearing from, from lots of people as they as they are leading through uncertainty is exactly that, because often you're leading through situations that actually nobody knows how to deal with them because (laughs) because they are new Um, and I think you know what you're saying about continuing to self-evaluate and to develop yourself is is crucial when we're going through uncertainty so that we can actually you know continue to look at how do I need to deal with this new situation that's that's cropping up.
1: You you are I, in my role I am meant to have the answers. <laughs> and that's that's the problem, isn't yeah. it? That you don't have all the answers. So you go into a board meeting, you've got to be ultra confident. You're making presentations, I've got one
0: tomorrow to the board. Um, and you know, I, I can't go into that meeting and be caught out by a director that's actually to there's a
1: flaw in what you're thinking is, or actually your figures are wrong. It would just completely undermine my role. So there's a lot of care and attention to the detail that needs to happen and a lot of thoughts going into any kind of idea development uh, before they go to the board who ultimately make that decision whether we can go ahead.
0: Hmm. So what's the what, what have you learnt the most from this role so far? Uh, I think what I've learnt in a positive way
1: is that I actually am good at my job and I do know what we should be doing and everything I've done so far has worked. What I've learned, though, is that I can only say that because I've actually taken a lot of time to gather my thoughts, sound my ideas out, take, you know, courts with a number of people in the room at the same time, not just one-on-ones. I sat with eight people and said, look, what do you think we should do about this? Mm. And with everyone who's involved with the dark in in different forms have been able to put in their valuable input, and that's helped me make the decisions. I've worked very collegiately, Um, And I think you have to, when you've got a very complex stakeholder group, um, I'll pick up the phone rather than send emails out. I worked with somebody recently, the new investors that came in, and the guy that they brought in was the asset manager, worked by email. But honestly, the tone of some of his emails was so awful. Mm. I just picked up the phone and said, I've just got your email, is this what you meant? Mm. No, he said, (laughs) but because he's there with 50 other sites to look after, he's firing out emails like a bullet. Otherwise, I knew that relationship could have turned really, really sour. And I had to work hard
0: on that because mm. the email tone was so awful. I mean, not that I would
1: have cried. I don't mean that, but I could have gone away and been really upset about it and spent really time on a on a problem that wasn't actually there. But picking up the phone certainly made all the difference. And I find in, in property, particularly on the property side of my business, which is very male-orientated, Mm-hmm. that's exactly what has worked for me is cutting down you know that email correspondence picking the phone up I've just had another one flying yesterday and they've misunderstood my email so I'm gonna to have to pick the phone up today and say actually this is what I meant mm. so and I'm not firing and firing out emails is definitely the worst thing you can do <laughs> uh, they never ever I mean I go back to many of mine I'm in my draft and then I go back oh god that was all What you just wrote—that was—that sounds—and I go back and rewrite them, and they're much better. Mm. So again, lots, lots of little things like that, but they've made a big difference.
0: So it sounds like there's, there's, the relationship building is really important to you. Yes, I, I I feel, um, for myself, having
1: good relationships, I can get the job done. Mm. Um, Where I've got a difficult relationship. I'll work really hard to break that down and try and work out what on earth is the barrier here, what's going on. Mm. Or you just keep it at a professional level, understanding that there'll never be a relationship beyond what it is. Mm. You know, just compartmentalizing those relationships so you know where the, the, kind of the, the lines are of relationship whether it's just a professional relationship whether it's someone you know do you need this person yes you do what do you need them for and if they're delivering on that then that's absolutely fine and then there are other relationships that go beyond that where you've got much more confidence
0: in them mm-hmm. fantastic so what would your advice be to to any other ceo or any aspiring ceo
1: you really need to know the business that you're in you need to be the, the kind of the, the, the know-all You need to feel confident about everything you're saying. So when you're not feeling confident, just go and make yourself confident, whatever that's going to take, whether it's talking to somebody. Mentoring is really helpful if you've got someone that you can turn to on that because they'll help you find the route through go and talk to other experts, get them to give you their not experience so much, but actually if they've been involved in... So, so if you're talking about a digital issue, I mean, I'm absolutely rubbish on the digital forum stuff, but I'll just go and talk to loads of people that are brilliant at it. Mm. And then I shake that up in my mind and I'll ask questions like, do you know what, I don't understand what you're saying, can you just please explain it in common language? And then I gather my thoughts and then I'm able to kind of go in there confidently uh, talking about a subject, which possibly I couldn't before. When I worked at the Tate, I had... Absolutely no art knowledge at all, but that didn't matter because I understood the business, and that was what my role was there for: was to help with the budgeting, the strategic planning, really supporting the curators, you know, deliver their vision for programme in the galleries. So it wasn't about interfering in the content; it was more about that enabling role. So having no art background, I could sit in the meeting and go, Do "You know, I've never heard of that artist," and they'd all burst out laughing. <laughs> really help and soften what what could be quite an intense discussion Mm. but I get what you're saying because it's going to reach that audience so let's work out how we get the budget for you so it's just not being frightened that you don't know a subject matter and unfortunately these days the chief executive is expected to know everything about everything and we don't Mm. but we can find it out and we can have enough knowledge under our belt to be able to talk about a subject matter at any stage so that would be my, my main
0: advice yeah, and I think the, the, the key thing I'm I'm hearing in, in that as well is that um you don't you don't actually have to know everything, although there might be an expectation and I think sometimes that's self a self-imposed expectation um and sometimes it's an external expectation, but nobody can actually know everything that they need to know and and it's really important to be able to reach out and be confident in what you do bring um and reach out to those who bring other skills. And And
1: I think you also have to manage in a meeting. If somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer to it, you've got to be prepared to be able to say, "Do you know? I don't know about. Let me come back to you on that." You've got to not waffle Mm. and try and. You've got to stop and say, "Do you know? I don't know that because that's that's far more impactful than somebody who who and usually the person that said that to you knows the subject matter. So when you start waffling on trying to make up that you know they know you don't know yeah and immediately your credibility starts falling down
0: the drain Mm. so there's other there's other things that you need to be
1: not get trapped into not being when you don't know say you don't know Mm.
0: yeah what's your biggest challenge that you've had so far in your career
1: um i think when i worked at tate working in the public sector and really and that sector oh my goodness it's so tough now with all the decline in, in government grants, particularly in the art sector, which is what, where I worked, um, and cutting budgets, cutting staff, making losses, trying to make business models work, trying to re- reinvent business models, um, that's tough. And the, and, and the skill set, I mean, that detracts from the core value of the business in that instance. You know, that was about exhibitions and bringing art. You know, to the public, mm-hmm. suddenly you were having to make very difficult decisions, which was compromising your core values uh, and kind of the vision for the organization. And, um, and and that was wrapped up in uncertainty. I mean, I had two years of that before I left. Um, and that wasn't the reason I left. We we'd got through that period. But I found that personally exceptionally challenging. I, I would go home and cry, I was overwhelmed. Cutting my team by a third, you know, losing over sixteen people, um, having to go through a voluntary and compulsory redundancy, which had not been seen before in our organisation, even within the London tape. It was, it, I mean, that's obviously that was a very difficult time. But that is happening all the time in the public sector, mm. and I think for a manager in that sector you've got to be so resilient and you need such a strong network around you and that's not happening at all levels that was very difficult for me Mm. um, personally and and professionally and there was a lot riding on it professionally because it hadn't happened to such an extent elsewhere in in the organisation that the mine had to be successful and then that set the precedence really for what was going to happen going forward where other cuts were made I don't think even now the public sector is still stable. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm hearing that there are more funding cuts to come, and trying to be more resilient. But that's happening at kind of um, city council level, government level. It's, it's very, very tricky. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for any manager at, at any level in the public sector having to deal with with those
0: cuts. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's mirroring what has been happening in the in the private sector for some time in in terms of compulsory redundancies and. And that's always a really challenging time in terms of um, managing your own resilience and and helping and supporting and other people navigating through that process. It's exactly. it's really challenging. And well, you don't even know if your own
1: position is um, you know uh, of any certainty around your own position while you're doing that. You've, mm-hmm. You're also dealing with well, is my role. Going to remain in the structure, you know, you've, you've got it's, it's, a, it's a very very difficult time, mm. and I found that really really hard, and I'm and I don't feel I got as as much support as I needed. What got me through that, I think, was um, I just had to believe in what I was doing. I worked with the HR team very closely. They monitored my my steps every way, which was helpful the other risk is that you end up in employment tribunal because you have to say the wrong thing at any one time in a yeah. meeting and the, you know there is a culture of, of that West and, and, and anger dealing with people's anger and their upset and mm-hmm. their own emotion I mean I, I just it's, it's a kind of a, it was horrendous it was just one of the worst times in my life Um I, could, I would do it again I've got experience to do it again if I had
0: to but I would go into it with real anxiety what what have you learnt from that process?
1: I've I learnt that I had to rely on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was no one was going to do the job for me. That I just had to get to grips with it and plan what I was going to do. Work closely with the experts. Go very prepared into those meetings with staff. Um, come out know what I, was, I needed to come out with at the end of the meeting and stick to the script. And even though you want to go off peace and you want to be emotional, you just have to stick with that script. And I and I think that that's probably still being good said now because I really think about what I'm going to do, where what I'm going to go into, you know, high level board meetings, how I'm going to talk about what I want to get out of it at the end of it. You know, what the planning I need to do to go in there to be convincing. Um, what is the outcome of that, and then come away, you know, knowing that I've achieved what I need to achieve. So in a way, that was very transferable.
0: Mm. And and there's a there's a theme throughout throughout our conversation that what I'm hearing is that when there is that um, extreme uncertainty, you create a structure and you create a plan um, of based on what is known, and you seek support um, and seek input from lots of different areas so that you can build the best plan that you can, um, yeah. and and operate within within that structure. Because within that structure there is uncertainty, but I'm hearing a a strong theme of creating some certainty and structure around it that provides a support structure for you. Yes, definitely. I would agree with
1: that. And, and And it's obvious to say it, but when you're overwhelmed and you're sat there with something that you've got to deal with and you don't know where to start... Um, it, it's really difficult. And I mean, one thing I, we went to a course and we did mind mapping, and actually, I have, I have done, I've used those techniques on occasion because you, you just shove a problem in the middle of a page, and suddenly the spider legs come out of it. And I certainly recommend as a starting point if you really are hitting that brick wall. That has
0: been very, very helpful, and then that becomes the, the, the start of a plan yeah. and, a, and a solution. Great. So how do you how do you keep sane with with all the complexity of what you're doing?
1: <laughs> um, I really get satisfaction out of my role in this role now. I really enjoy it very much, and there's always lots of projects. You know, I'm juggling around, but I stop on a Friday and I come in on a Monday. I make sure that my weekends are for me. Um, I actually have. Um, a fair commuting to work and I've made that conscious decision, I find the commute actually, even though it can be stressful on the road sometimes, it's actually a way of winding down. Mm -hmm. Um, I have lots of hobbies, I have family, um, holidays, but really making sure that I don't overstress myself. So at the moment it's bothering me that my garden, it's bothering me
0: more that my garden needs attention than some of the work problems that I've got at the moment. Well, That's a nice problem to have. (laughs) been so rubbish i've not been able to get into to keep going
1: home and looking at the garden and it's driving me insane so i've actually i should have tackled that this weekend and i haven't so it's going to sit with me all week again it'll bother me every night i go home and that's the problem sometimes the work stuff you do in can do in work and you're on top of but you get home and the domestic stuff starts driving you insane mm. so I, I reckon you know again that's something that i i, I kind of really focus on so that i'm not going home i can relax and the garden is bothering me at the moment but um, no I, I think I make time and I don't you know I'm not you know, I don't stress myself out in terms of like tonight I want to get to the gym, but I have a feeling because we've got a board presentation in the morning, I already know that that could be unlikely. So rather than try and finish the work so I can go to the gym, I've already made the decision that I'll probably cancel the gym, go later on in the week and just get the work bit done. So I think it's just being kind to yourself.
0: Yeah. Because
1: if you try and cram everything in, you kind of like become a headless chicken and think, you know, it's not just about work. It's about the domestic side of your life and the personal side of your life. So rather than make that, like today, that decision's already made. I knew that when I was driving in today because that drive has made me, you know, think, oh, but you, what you're trying to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't, I'd be stressed out tonight.
0: Mm. And it's, you know, it's an interesting one, being kind to yourself, because it's not something that I hear many people say that that they do and and i hear lots of people say that they're not very good at being kind to themselves they can be kind to others but mm-hmm. but the the self care is is not always there and it's it's absolutely crucial i think when you're going through a period of uncertainty because yeah. because otherwise you can hit that overwhelm as you say and it's not even kind to yourself by going and having going to the
1: you know having a lovely our facial or that 's not what we mean it 's actually just being realistic about what you can achieve,
0: yeah,
1: and that being kind to yourself makes a massive difference, mm. but also looking in your diary because you can you know you should be in charge of your diary, your diary shouldn't be in charge of you, so you know I sit down regularly with my p a and we cross out time and she says to me, if you 're going to the gym, just put that hour in for when you've got to travel to get there, and I won 't put any meetings in." You know, and, and, you know, I've got two late nights this week. So if I'm not careful, I'll not only work during the day, I'll do two late nights because I've got events on and I'll be exhausted by Friday and I won't have gone to the gym or played tennis, which is one one of my passions. I'd have done nothing for myself. So I'm already planning that in the diary and trying to do that ahead. And I think that's, again, you know, just be in charge of your diary. Don't let the diary take over your life.
0: Mm. It's about balance, isn't it?
1: it is and it's hard to do sometimes you accept that some weeks are harder than others but you know that next week you've got a day off because you've actually booked to go and have a facial so this hard work this
0: week's fine yeah so what's your what's your biggest piece of advice that you could give anybody as a leader i think you've just got to
1: be confident you've got to find a way whatever it is whoever can help you whatever can help be confident um because there are many times you have wobbles, there are people that will send you a horrible email or you'll get a bad phone call or something will come through, I mean even a visitor's comment can upset you, you know, coming through about how poor the experience was on the dock. You've just got to be confident that everything you are doing and everything you are uh, delivering and believing in and planning actually is, is brilliant and just think, I'm brilliant, I am doing a really good job. course you won't always be brilliant and there will be problems along the way but if you can be confident and feel like you're brilliant then you will be because you'll hit those problems head on and get over them very quickly
0: brilliant so what's next for you with um with the albert doc
1: well we are celebrating the doc's 175th anniversary in 2021 so the strategy that I developed and launched last May is, is a five-year strategy, actually building a whole new story around the dock, reflecting on the history, of course, but also what will the dock look like in the next 10, 20 years. So we, we're looking at some capital programs that so the dock will look slightly different, not the buildings, because of course they'll always remain the same, they're protected, mm-hmm. but that experience that a visitor will feel when they come onto the dock is really important to us. Uh, we've got very high curbs, um, it's the car is actually kind of king on the dock, we want to become more pedestrian friendly, so just thinking really about a vision for the public realm is one thing, our events programme will grow and grow, um, we're hoping um, by 2021 we'll have an exhibition celebrating the history of the dock, we'll have an oral histories tour, we'll have all we'll delve more into bringing the dock alive while you're here, so it's interpreted really well, that basically the bricks speak to you and tell you the story And oh, I always find it I'm sat now in my, my office in a grade 1 listed building looking at the bricks they were here in 1846 and still remain the same and look at all the different uses and I find that really fascinating
0: about mm, the dock mm.
1: so we want the dock to become really important and not forgotten in the history of, of Liverpool and that the dock is you know celebrated by the local community so we're building up to a whole year of celebration in 2021 so a lot of the projects i'm, I'm dealing with at the moment will we'll have a star moment in 2021
0: fantastic well i wish you all the best with uh with our planning for that then sue and um and i hope i'll uh i'll come and see you in 2021 if not before Brilliant. <laughs> thank you and thanks very much all right thank you I love what Sue said about being kind to yourself in the context of being realistic about what you can achieve. It's so easy to put ourselves under pressure at work and at home. Sue has clearly learned how to balance the two. And not only that, she's built solid foundations for her success as a CEO, based on building good relationships, engaging stakeholders and making communication crucial every step of the way so easy to say, yet so much more difficult to do. So be kind to yourself this week and be realistic. That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty.